You know, it is so interesting to think about human perception and human beliefs. It is incredible to think that we take in information and data <clears throat> and we, through interactions with our physical environment, we create these rules that stand, that dictate our lives from then on. It's incredible. It really is incredible. If you look up the definition of perception in the dictionary, it refers to two things. Number one is obviously the ability to perceive something physically through our senses. But the second one is having a particular attitude or perspective on a topic, right? So our perception of something then actually literally creates neurological patterns that creates our quote-unquote our beliefs, which blows my mind. It blows my mind. And a lot of the time with a lot of my clients as a coach, what I do is challenge beliefs. I challenge perspective. I offer up a new perspective. <clears throat> and I've been reflecting on this quite a lot recently because, you know, I've traveled to many countries around the world and lived in those countries. And I think I've always distinguished the difference between travel versus lived. You know, so I've got friends who are like, oh, I've traveled to, you know, a hundred countries around the world, something like that. And I'm like, cool. How long were you there? How long were you in each country? Uh, you know, a couple of days. And part of me almost was disappointed by this because we're talking about, um, did you have a chance to have your perspective shifted? And that's one of the things that I love about language learning as well is it shifts your perspective. I mean, just <clears throat> a classic example for most people is that in English, we say the verb to be, which is I am, you are, he is, she is, we are, they are, you know, things like that. But we don't distinguish between something that's permanent versus temporary um, with this verb, you know? So if, I, if I'm being lazy today, well, that just, that's the grammar that's distinguishing that versus if I say I am lazy that's a quality of my character versus just something I'm doing for the day. Now, in Spanish, you can say it with a verb, the verb ser, you know, to be. So if I say soy, um, I am, versus estar, which is the temporary one. So that would be estoy. And that difference there makes you shift your perspective and you examine your own language and realize that <clears throat> your own language just smushes these two uses, these two functions together. So, you know, if you say I'm sick, well, you know, <laughs> are you saying temporarily or permanently? You know, what what exactly are you trying to communicate? And in Spanish, that would be clear, but in English, it's not so clear. So that's just one example where learning a language actually helps you shift your perspective. And it gives credence to this idea that you're able to shift your perspective and shift the way that you think your personality by learning a language. It, it really challenges who you are. And Travel does the same thing, in my opinion. Travel does the same thing. When you learn to live like the people there in those countries live, it's not just noticing, oh, look, they do this thing in this funny way. Look at how different that is. And ha, 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 it's so funny. Ha, 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 ha. Don't they know that this is the way that the rest of the world does it or something like that? And then you start to ask deeper questions and you start to realize, wait a minute, people are doing it. And it actually makes sense. It's It's got a type of logic to it. That's that's interesting. I never knew that before. I never thought about that. I never thought about viewing it from that perspective. So, <clears throat> yes, recently it has dawned on me that um, the perspective shift is one of the strongest things that I've had 
as a result of my experience, as a result of my travels, as a result of my studies. I am really someone who focuses on the perspective shifts. And so all of this is to say, what are the perspective shifts that that I offer a lot or that I see that are perhaps not quite there? I mean, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of perspective shifts. And ultimately, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the goal? Why? Why? What's the point? Why do we need to shift our perspective? <clears throat> and it comes down to this. Is your perspective hurting you? Is your perspective hurting you? That's it. Do you hold a particular uh, viewing of a topic, a point of view, a, a stance on a topic that you're holding just for the sake of it? Because that's what you think is true. That's what you think should be. And actually, if you let go of that, that perspective, that, that particular stance, you would probably grow a lot more. It would probably release you from a lot of pain. And that's, that's very important. So, <clears throat> you know, here in America, land of being valued by your productivity, you know, your productivity is your self-worth, hustle, hustle, you know, get that, get that uh, business, you know. The, the idea, the perspective here is this, is this concept of like, more is better. And it's, it's quite interesting recently that there's been quite a lot of YouTubers who are talking about this idea of burnout. And they've grown to these amazing heights and they, they don't want it. They don't want it. You know, and I think about something that um, my godbrother likes to say all the time, which is build a life that you never have to take a holiday from. And recently I've been talking to my accountability partner as well. And he's been saying the same thing. He's been saying, how can we have fun doing what we enjoy? Even if it means, you know, 10 times less the growth, but 10 times more the pleasure, the enjoyment, you know, money is not the only thing to optimize for. And that is huge, you know, so a fulfillment perspective starts creeping in here. Like what type of perspective do you need in order to build something like this? Yes, money solves problems, but there's a certain point where money's enough, you know, and that doesn't have to be millions. It could be literally like a couple thousand more than what you're earning right now, depending on your currency, of course. But yeah, yeah, just a little bit more than what you're earning now could solve a lot of problems. Um, and <clears throat> the one perspective that I realized that I, that I hold is that I don't, I don't need a lot of money. You know, my life is very simple. I've got everything that I want. The things of value are not things that money can, can buy me really. Um, the things that money can buy me that I would value, I would only notice on holidays where I'd want to fly, let's say first class. Or business class, you know, like let's not even go first class. Let's just go business class. I don't want to fly business class there so I could relax on the way there so that I could um, enjoy like a nice hotel or, you know, spring for the day trip to the insert landmark here, you know, with a tour guide or something like that, you know, just to get a lot out of it. So, you know, travel is where I'd probably notice it, where I'd want to travel in luxury and accommodations to be quite nice as well. But I also think that that kind of robs you of an experience. And this is my perspective on an, on on all of this as well, is that every option you've got is amazing for certain reasons. So I like traveling on a, on a shoestring budget, you know, because ultimately when you do that, you actually have a lot more fun 
you know, you become a lot more resourceful. It's a lot more challenging. Um, so there are there are experiences to be had like that. So yeah. Anyway. So the upgraded perspectives, as we said, <clears throat> you know, what are the perspectives that you can take that will greatly help you to feel empowered as well, or rather to not hurt you, to make sure that you're you're perceiving things in a way that doesn't lead to you getting damaged in some way or bitter. You know, one of the biggest things that you can do is guard your perspective so that as you get older, you don't become more jaded you know, but actually you become more pliable, you know, stronger, more resilient, more able to do X, Y, and Z, more adaptable. You're able to transcend things that you could never transcend in, you know, when you were 10 years younger. So what does that look like? Well, I mean, I'm a huge believer of my human operating system, which is three perspectives. And so we'll dive into them each one quickly. So the human operating system, <clears throat> it's just this idea of like, okay, cool, what's the basic circuitry that all humans run on? And this this belief or, you know, this perspective actually just encompasses a lot of things. So number one is no person is an island unto themselves. All right, great. That's rule number one. But what does that mean? The perspective here is that humans are social animals. And if we're social animals, we need to understand that our relationships to other people, our connections to other people actually define us more than how we define ourselves. Um, we need connection. And we're actually motivated more by this social impulse than we are by our you know, internal impulses. So, oh, I want a Ferrari. Well, why do you want a Ferrari? Well, um, have you ever seen a Ferrari? Well, no, I guess in the movies. So people have shown you a Ferrari and people have shown you how cool is a Ferrari by reacting to Ferraris. And this has now somehow gotten in your head that Ferraris are the thing to have, you know, the ultimate status symbol. I mean, what's the difference between a Lamborghini, a Bugatti and a Ferrari? If you think about it, if you actually go into it, if you're not a car enthusiast, the only way that you're really going to know the difference between the three is how other people react to the three. You know, so essentially, essentially, we're, we're conditioned into um, certain things that come together with being a social animal. Our biases, you know, one of my favorite ways to explain this is diffusion of responsibility. If I'm in a waiting room and I smell gas and I'm alone, I will take action almost immediately. However, if I'm in a room and there are other people there and I smell gas and I look up and I look at them and they're not smelling gas, I will wait. Why is that? The social context changes my behavior. So it could be for a couple of reasons. Number one is I'm not confident and I don't want to stand up and, and start making issues or you know making waves. I don't want to disturb the group. Right. So that's number one. But number two is there's also this, this the idea of diffusion of responsibility is like, I don't want to assume leadership and start wrangling people. Why? Because that can actually alienate a lot of people by doing that type of thing. So there has to be almost like a social status game that happens. And if you're interested in that, there was a very interesting experiment that was done. Um, it was covered in the, uh, the book, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Highly recommend that book. And yeah, ultimately, we're playing these social games a lot of the time to determine worth and value. And it, it goes on like, well, what is valued is based on the group. What does the group value? But here's the cool thing is that in the short term, you might 
think like, oh, NFTs are valuable. And everyone's like, NFTs are valuable. Yeah, this is amazing. You know, crypto art, this is amazing. But over a three-year period, three to five years is long enough for most things that are full of nonsense, full of crap, to be able to be seen and evidence that they're full of crap. So give it three to five years before you buy the NFT, you know, your little uh, digital artwork that has, you know, a token attached to it, that type of thing. Three to five years is usually what you need in order to last through those types of things. And that's obviously a long-term perspective. So, so rule number one, no person is an island unto themselves. Rule number two, rule number two is emotions trump logic. Emotions trump logic. That is, there's a lot of data saying that we make our decisions primarily through our emotional drivers. You know, as someone who's, who, you know, helped people with learning and, you know, um, teaching them uh, the steps to learning and the steps to mastering something, the number one thing it comes back to is you need to have a passion for what it is that you're learning. You need to find a way to inject your emotions and your passion into that thing that you're learning. Why is that? Because it doesn't matter how much you can logically understand. Humans are ultimately, you know, our internal fuel is emotion. And so as a result of that, if you have to choose between two things and equally the logic says X and Y are the same, you're ultimately going to take the choice to go with a thing that you're more passionate about, that you've got more of a feeling for or against, right? So in that way, you know, if you're dispassionate about something, you know, and then the other option is you just don't care about that option. You'll go with the option you don't care about and you move away from the one you're dispassionate about. So emotions trump logic also says this thing of like, you can be the smartest person in the world and still fall prey to all these feelings that are bubbling up inside of you. And the idea there also is very interesting. You will not be able to think clearly if you cannot distinguish between emotions and logic. So making decisions based on impulse, making decisions based on these um, these these emotions that are popping up in you. And you'll see a lot of the emotions can be external. They're, they're external validation emotions like, oh, I want this because other people would then value me and I want to be wanted and things like that versus the ones that are internal as well. Like I'm angry. Why? Because that person said X, Y, and Z. So your anger is internal. And then you start doing this whole list of actions based on your based on your anger and understanding that the logic that that's that steps out from that anger is not going to help you. It's not. You know, anger is not a beneficial emotion um, in our day and age. It used to be 100%. And in some instances, sure, it's an appropriate emotion to have. But if you're in a situation where you don't have to worry about physical threats, and what do I mean by physical threats? I'm talking about like lions and tigers and things like that, right? Then your, your human nervous system is not necessarily working in your favor, you know? Um, and then we'd start talking about your success as a human where, you're, you know, you have to learn how to, uh, how to navigate certain, you know, social, social circles. But even then, you know, unless there's a physical component to it, like someone's actually like hitting you or something like that, then your anger isn't really going to serve much of a purpose. It's actually going to push you down rather than 
step you up and help you survive. But all of these were survival mechanisms at one point in time, but they're not anymore. And that's the perspective. It's not that anger is bad. It's like anger is now context inappropriate. And now we come into the third one. And the third one is one of my favorites as well, which is context is king. Context is king. There is no bad. There is no good. It depends on the context. Depends on the context. There are very few exceptions to this rule. This is just a, uh, a general rule that I make. The few exceptions are obviously things like, uh, you know, violation of another person's physical form. That is not okay. You know, it's not okay. Um, fighting and, you know, let's say murder and things like that, I could I could easily more justify based on the context and say like, oh, this person, um, you know, is a serial killer who threatened that person's family or something like that. So, you know, sure, then you understand, okay, that was contextually speaking that murder was actually not murder but it was self-defense that that killing the ending of someone's life was something that was contextually justified and that's quite interesting to to understand is that um you know everything is according to context everything is according to context and once you understand that the context of things it starts to take a little bit more meaning so those perspectives you know don't make judgments until you understand the context or make a judgment, but also say, all right, but I also want to examine the context. That'll help you so much in managing your emotions because your emotions will trump logic. So allow yourself to feel those emotions, you know, allow yourself to feel those emotions and then also say, that's fine. Those are my emotions. They are not my logic. And let me understand the context first. So let's say you get ghosted by someone you know, you make an appointment with them to meet you and they don't pitch up and messages, no, no messages, no, nothing like that. So instead of sending an initial message that's grounded in anger, like, where the hell are you? What's your problem? Why would you do that? You've always been such a flake, you know, stop, feel that emotion, be like, yeah, that's, that's valid. And yeah, that emotion comes up and, you know, that's trying to protect me because in, in a situation when you get burned like this, it's usually a valid response, you know, let's say 700 years ago or something like that. But now, you know, do you want to burn a bridge based on that one behavior? I mean, you don't know the context. Maybe that person had, it, um, you know, a car accident, touch wood. You know, hopefully not. Hopefully that person's okay. So I usually just send a message saying like, hey, bummer, you weren't there. I hope you're okay. Because that would be a reasonable explanation for why you weren't there you know, if you wanted to maintain that friendship and build that relationship and things like that, you need to do what you say you're going to do, which is, you know, to live in integrity, so to speak. You know, if I say I'm going to be there, I'll be there. That's integrity. You know, that's consistency, dependability, predictability, all of that stuff increases trust, which increases the ability for people to actually connect with you as well which goes back to the first rule, which is no person is an island unto themselves. So those are the three perspectives that I take and I hold them very dear, near and dear to my heart. And it explains a lot of behavior around me. Obviously, you know, when you take a perspective, you'll look for information that actually validates that perspective. And what I've been doing is rather looking for information that's actually going to disprove these perspectives instead. So any perspective, any belief that you have you should always be looking as like, what is going to be the criticism of this particular perspective? What is a way that we can actually modify this perspective so that it's stronger? 
as well. Not stronger and more defensible, but more more like stronger so that it empowers me, so that it allows me to actually understand the world more accurately so that I can move through the world uh, smoother, you know, with, with less resistance and with more success. So those are the three perspectives that I, that I take, and I call them the human operating system. And the final thing that I'll finish on is that this usually comes in waves as well. Zero to 10 years old, the operating system that you're operating out of is one of survival through the guardians. You know, your mom, your dad, your grandfather, whatever. After that, 10 to 25, you're working on your social peer group. And the psychology that comes out of that, the operating system that you use there is establishing your social identity. And after that, after the age of 25, we now have full, full mental faculties. We have full brain development, maturation of the brain. And the result of that is that now you can start um, working and stopping yourself if you're getting too emotional, you're too motivated by the social groups and things like that. So, you know, when you were 15 years old, you were probably like, ride or die for my friends. And then when you hit 30, you're like, I don't know, that friend's pretty toxic. You know, I don't want to hang out with them anymore. And you're making decisions that actually go against the way that you thought when you were younger. And the reason for that is because that part of your brain was developing. And now you've got another part of your brain that's developed on top of that, which allows you to pause that behavior. So that's why teenagers are much more reckless in their behavior and much more motivated by peer pressure than than adults all right so there's a couple of perspectives for you let me know what you think what's uh what's your perspective on all this stuff love to hear from you let me know and if you're interested in shifting your perspectives one of the ways that you can do it is clicking on the link below i created a course called the neuro resiliency course and it is what it says it is neurological Right, So we try and identify neurological patterns that exist within you, your perspectives on certain things. We try and introduce new perspectives to you that can help you to actually shift your perspective and implement that new perspective with habitual uh, training. Okay, So neuroresilience is about neurologically adapting to things to make you a more resilient person. So click on the link below if that sounds like your... your uh, you know, your slice of pie, your cup of tea. All right. I'll leave you there. Until next time, I wish you a wonderful week.